So uh, I want to read a passage of scripture that uh, just give a couple comments on a passage of scripture. And then I have three simple areas of, I think, uh, encouragement and challenge to speak to. I'll tell you those areas that I think we need to, we need to think about. I'll give you a pre precursor where we're going. I'm going to try to comment on what this means and where we go with regards to self. Like what, you know, as I do have authority outside of the medical world in the, in to say, how do we act? And so I want to encourage and exhort you as an individual. And then I want to offer exhortation, encouragement as a family. And then I want to offer exhortation, encouragement for us as a church. But I want to ground it in the Word of God. And so if you have a Bible, open it up. Open it up. If not, you can look on the screens as we put it up. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool if the Lord just did that? He just read it up, wrote it up here in the leaves. But I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, again, I'll read. This is a interesting passage. I'll have a couple comments, maybe illustrate it a bit, and then we'll get into how it matters to us. So uh, I'm going to start in verse... 13 of uh, Hebrews 6. This is a passage in which the writer of Hebrews is speaking to a Jewish, explicitly Jewish congregation, I believe, uh, the followers of Yeshua, trying to answer some of the questions that they have in terms of how does it, what does it look like in, uh, to, to follow the Lord. And, there, and the writer is now reminding uh, the congregation of how far back the promise goes. God's promise to anchor us in faith. And so it starts in verse 13 this way. When God made his promise to Abraham, let me just pause there and ask a question. This is worth like a million church points. What was that promise? Anybody just shout it out if you know the promise. Wait, wait, start, say it loud, so one at a time. Okay, bless all nations is one. Land. Yeah, so, so, so in Genesis 12, he says he'll give him a, a great, he'll give him land, he'll give him a great name, and his descendants will be how numerous? Like the stars. And that he will not, and he will actually bless all the people of the world through this one man. So all the promises of God that extend out to the entire world come through this one man. Is God still under a covenant that he cuts three chapters later today is my question. Is he still abiding by that covenant? And so we as, is there anybody here that is Jewish by birth? Maybe, kind of, Yeah. Um, so most of us are, are from those nations that are blessed through this one man. If God is keeping that promise to the Jewish people through Abraham, that's a good thing for us, right? If he's broken that promise, that's a bad thing for us, right? So just making sure we're on the same page. And it says, since there was no one greater for him to swear by God, I mean, who, God says, hey, I promise you by uh, uh, the, the loyalty of who? Who does he make an oath by? Himself. It says, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. 
Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath <clears throat> confirms what is said because <clears throat> it puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, he made it... What are the two unchangeable things that God makes his covenant based on? A promise and an oath. He promises to do something and he makes an oath by his own name that he would do these. And so he says that by these two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have, fl who, we who have fled to take hold, here it is, here's the part. We who fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. If you have an older translation, it might say something like Jesus went as a forerunner. Any of your translations say that? Anybody actually have a Bible? Yeah, you see that? So what's this saying? It's saying we have this hope in the old system. You know, there's an inner sanctuary. There's the Holy of Holies and the high priest goes in there and makes a sacrifice and did the people go with them? No. The high priest went as a representative of Yeshua. Yeah, went as representative of the people and of the Lord. There's this kind of intermediary presence. And so the high priest goes in and makes sacrifice. But it says Jesus now is different. He goes as a forerunner. I'm just thinking of a way to illustrate it. I need like a, like maybe, hey, Grant, come on up here. Grant, you're gonna be you're gonna play the person of Jesus. Okay, okay he says, no problem. <clears throat> and I need a couple of other young volunteers. Yeah, just okay, one, two, come on, right, and be over here. You're gonna be over here. This is an active illustration, so you're gonna have to actually move. Now I'm gonna hold on. All right, stand over here. Perfect. Good. All right. So if Grant's playing Jesus and you guys, are any of you guys Christians? Do any of you guys, what does it mean to be a Christian? It says, if Jesus is the Lord, then we follow him? Okay, so if, if, this is just an illustration, if this were Jesus and he were doing something or telling you to do something and he did something, you would follow him, right? So I want you to, imagine okay we're going to activate the imagination jesus we ask that you'd conquer all nations including the imagination so that we're okay to have an illustration right now grant is not jesus he's just playing the role of jesus he's an actor okay for illustri for illustration purposes these are real believers either in actuality or it's coming soon and so we can illustrate this so imagining that this is jesus Grant, I want you to go ahead and do now and ask, wait, and what will you guys do? If he tells you to do something, he does something. If you're followers of Jesus, what will you do? If he moves, will you move? Yeah. You follow him, right? So following Jesus is kind of like following the leader, right? All right. So are you ready, Grant? Yes, sir. On the count of three, you guys, this is Jesus. You're followers of Jesus. You ready? One, two, three. You guys better catch up. You don't want to fall behind. 
What? All right, now come back over here. Now, did they follow perfectly? Did they follow? Did they look a lot like us? So in this illustration, Jesus was the forerunner. Did you see him literally run out ahead? If Jesus is the forerunner, they are the after runners. And so what's the difference between a representative and a forerunner? A representative does something for you, but a forerunner actually goes and we are actually, we we're able to follow where a forerunner goes. And so Jesus doesn't go into the inner sanctuary as a, pre, as a priest that just, to just represent us. When it says he goes as a forerunner, it says he goes so that we can follow him into the most intimate places. This is a really important thing. You guys can go have a seat now. Thank you to, to Jesus and to his followers. Wait, you guys all scattered. Jesus went that way. In a time of social distancing, we can have intimacy with the Most High God because Jesus has made a way for us to anchor our souls to heaven. The difference between anchoring our boat to a rock and anchoring our souls to heaven is we anchor our boat to a rock, we don't move. When we anchor our souls to heaven, we go where heaven goes. We can follow him. So even if we have to be to flatten the curve and help our country be as healthy as it can be and help our world, we might have to do things differently. It does not mean in social distancing that we have distance from the Lord or that he has distance from us or even that we really have to have distance from each other. There's this little thing called intercession that allows us to pray for one another and to connect. And so I'm just going to leave that there. And, and that's just my devotional side of it. And I want to give you three ways in which I think it matters to us. Okay. Can I do that? I won't take long. There's a favorite preacher, Brian's, who says uh, his name is, is uh, I just forgot his name. Brian. Dr. Joe Garlington. He said, uh, he goes on, what does he say? I'm like Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, never mind. It's a funny joke, but I can't remember it. It's, it's not that, no, hit me up later, I'll tell you. So here's the three areas, self, family, church, okay? So here's what I see in this for self. This coronavirus, this impact, has anybody ever seen anything like this in their lifetime? Yeah, no, we haven't seen anything just like this, have we? This is a new thing. And so I believe it's times like this where there's public, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new stuff happening. There's a lot of stuff coming out real time. I mean, things are changing hourly. Somebody sent me a, a resource that you actually, it, it updates moment by moment, the number of cases documented worldwide. And, and, and with, with stuff happening that quickly, it can kind of get us worked up a bit, right? It can create a bit of anxiety. And when there's times like this, it, these times force us to align what we profess with our mouth, what we believe with what we actually believe. So our core values and our core behaviors get tested. And we can all say we believe that God's sovereign and that he rules and reigns and he's taking care of us, but we reveal our true trust, especially as believers when there's meltdown around us. And so for the self, I think one of the things we get to delve into or explore is what's really at the, the depth of your heart. It, is your heart anchored to heaven? And, and it, it kind of forces that to surface. And so I'll give you a couple ways in, w in which I think that matters. 
for self. Believers, those who follow Jesus during times like this will embrace sacrifice, not selfishness. Okay? Now this does not mean, I, this does not undermine or, or contradict anything Dr. Downey said. It means something like this. If your neighbor has no toilet paper because you bought a year's supply, you're going to give your neighbor enough toilet paper to get by. Don't raise your hands, but you know some of y'all went out there and hoarded toilet paper. I don't know why we're hoarding toilet paper in this because I don't think this is necessarily an intestinal, you know, bug, but we're hoarding toilet paper. You know, literally my household, we just, we, it was on our list. We didn't realize this was happening and we kind of are down to not a whole lot of toilet paper. We went to the store to get toilet paper. There's no toilet paper. We might be putting out an urgent request. Hey, we need a roll or a half roll. Just save our, give us a half roll a piece and we'll make it through. One of the things that disappoints me the most, both in myself and, and the things that I understand happening, I'm not on social media anymore, so I'm, I just kinda, I'm hearing about it more, is profound selfishness amongst believers in the midst of crisis. This cannot be who we are. You know, I feel those instincts too, then they're, if they're, and I know they're wrong, but it's easy to, to spot it in other people, but a, like I said earlier about our trust, a crisis can just amplify what's already within me. And if there's selfishness and self-righteousness within me, then, uh, I, you know, I've, I've got to confront that. I have to, this is an opportunity, you know, the early church, the people of the Old Testament, the people of the New Testament faced issues like this. And they were not known for hoarding, you know, food and supplies for themselves and spreading fear. They, they were known for, uh, for, for serving those who are around them as best as they could. And so I believe this, that followers of Jesus show sacrifice in times of crisis, not selfishness. And that will matter in many ways that, I'm not saying you shouldn't feed your family and wash your hands thoroughly and often and, 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 and observe social you know, distancing. That's the sort of stuff that's good for you know, the world. I'm doing those things as well, but that can't be our only response. We have to be willing and ready to serve, even in sacrificial ways, those who, who might be in need. Self-protection and self-defense is another religion. It's not Christianity. There, there comes times where we will have to, uh, to, to step out. All right, that's self. Family. What does this offer for us as a, as, as a family? Most of you exist within families. I think that this offers a profound opportunity for family discipleship. I was just meeting with some folks, some young folks about... Um, getting baptized and saying you when you get baptized you know this means you live like a believer you, know, you no longer live the same way that you used to live and I was saying to these young souls you know who do you turn to as a primary source of growth for your own spiritual life and, and the answer is, is you turn to your family to your mom and your dad you need to grow at a rate that actually provokes your mom and your dad to grow and and shockingly oftentimes we farm out spiritual growth and discipleship to the church or to uh, some other source or whatever it may be. And kids are learning things from the world right now that they ought to be learning from us. They, you know, kids are facing things like, what does this mean for me? You know, why do I have to wash my hands every six seconds? And, you know, and it, what, what happens if, you know, our family, if somebody that we know gets sick and they're asking, kids have the ability to plug into eternal matters 
And I think it's imperative for us right now to use this opportunity within our homes to teach on what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to have more to say about that as a church in just a second. Second, for, for families, when the economy's tanking, when, when things are happening around us that cause the world to operate in fear, we need to ask the Lord, under his guidance and his wisdom, how, Lord, would you have me show love to my neighbor? There will be opportunities for you to show neighborly love, probably more now in the days to come than you've had in a long, long time, maybe even ever. And, and love, I believe, stands out the strongest in the body of Christ when it's least expected or when it's rarest around us or when it's needed the most. And so I'm not saying put yourself at risk. I'm saying ask the Lord under his guidance, how can you have me help the people that are around me? Would you be mindful of that with your family? The third way that I want to bless you all to, to observe and grow together as a family inside of your house is this. I think you need to regularly, several times a week, share communion together in your home. I think you need to bring the bread and the cup into your home and gather your family together. And the head of the household say, you know, in the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples and he took the bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and said, take and eat, this is my body. Did the same thing with the cup and share communion within your home and pray for your family, pray for the your neighbors, pray for our zip code that you're in, pray for the church to be a, a shining witness, a faithful witness under the return of the Lord, pray for the world in a time like this. You can do this daily within your home. If you run out of bread and juice, you can use crackers and Gatorade. You can use food coloring and water. You can use water. You can do it. You can, God will bless this endeavor. You have authority to do this within your home. It's, it's, it would be a challenge this morning for us to take communion, wouldn't it? Together, be a bit of a challenge, but you can bring this into your home. There's no greater way for the Lord to use this right now than for us to press so much of what it means to follow Jesus into your family. We're gonna do that. All right, finally, church. How does it matter for the church? First off, as Dr. Downey talked about you know, technology, we're gonna plunder Egypt. The, 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 the nation, the people of Israel were, were, were ordered by God as they fled Egypt to plunder the Egyptians for those resources they could use. And they, the gold and the silver and the precious metals that they were able to plunder were actually pounded into the tabernacle and were used for this divine purpose. And I believe that for us, uh, technology is like something we can exploit. And what we hope to do in, in, the, in the coming weeks as we watch this thing play out, because I don't think... You know, this thing isn't nearly peaked, right? You know, it's going to, it's in the acceleration phase and it's probably going to double and double, you know, and then we get, a, we get to a peak. And so we're going to just have to play things day by day. And so we intend to use technology as a way to fellowship and as a way to disciple. So our hope is, is, is to get as long as we can, we can just sit there with an iPhone and we can send out some devotional stuff. Really what we're gonna do is send out some stuff that, that encourages you. Imagine a, a, a manual transmission car that the battery doesn't work. All you need to do is to start it is what? You just gotta push it, pop the clutch and you're started. We're gonna pop, we're gonna push start you in your home, pop the clutch and we're gonna encourage you daily, daily. When you get bored and you've watched everything that Netflix and Amazon has to offer, that's worthwhile, which will take about an hour. 
You could actually open this book under candlelight. You know, you could open it under any circumstance and you can gather your family around and you can begin to explore the stories, the exploits, the tremendous story of how God loves you. And we're going to help you do that, you know, via technology. We're going to send you resources. We're going to encourage you in ways to do this inside your home. Okay? Secondly, as a church, we're going to help our city. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to be poised. We're going to be prayerful. We're going to ask you know, we know that there's a, that after there's a, a peak and that it, there's opportunities to help, that everyone's, when I say everyone, I mean, though it's, it's human nature to become obsessed with ourselves and looking for ways to serve ourselves. We're going to ask the Lord to show us how we can defer our self-interest to serve those around us. And when people in the city see that we care, we don't care if they come to our church as a result. That's not why we're doing it. When people in the city see that we care about them, it will remind them that the Lord cares about them. That's good, right? This is good to serve the Lord. We're going to broker hope. I will often tell people when I, when I meet somebody who's not a believer and I meet them in a random place and I'm witnessing to them and they ask me what I do, one of the first things I say to them instead of saying I'm a pastor, which usually ends the conversation, is I tell them I'm a hope broker. You know, what? I said, I'm a hope broker. You've heard of a stockbroker, you've heard of a real estate broker, I'm a hope broker. I, I really, I, I find people who have no hope and I, and, I, and I usher in hope from a source of hope that's endless. They're like, what are you talking about? And it's a really cool way to get into a conversation. I believe as a church, one of the calls of God for us in a time like this is exactly what we sang, is, to, is, is out of the ashes, hope will arise, is to be hope brokers. People's spiritual instincts and the questions get triggered in, mo in times like these are not necessarily hope-filled. And we have the opportunity to give good, the good news of the gospel. And there's a world that's struggling with questions of death. And they need to be reminded both of the hope of resurrection and the power of God, the, the power of God who suffers with them. This is what this book of Hebrews says. It says God was willing to go to the place. God knew everything. He had every experience, although he never suffered. And he came in human form and he suffered that you would know what our suffering's like. And so he's not unacquainted with this and and the appetite for the gospel that, that we will see in the days to come will be greater than what we've seen in years and so there's a generation that's sick of hype they're, they're looking for hope by the way that hope is also eschatological hope it's a blessed hope in a jesus who's coming someday to right all wrongs and to end all wars and to heal all sickness and and so if you were to ask me is this a specific prophetic sign I would say that anybody who's speaking about prophetic signs, I hope they'd exercise caution, and I would exercise caution, because I don't know what this is. Could this be a sign of a time? Could this be a birth pain? Could very well be, but what I'm being reminded of personally as I pray is that there is indeed a time when Jesus will return, and I'm gonna rejoice my way through chaos until he does. Earlier in this book, Hebrews chapter two, and I'm done, uh, earlier in this book, it says that Jesus is a good, he's the better brother. He's a good older brother. And it says that he, essentially, I'll paraphrase it Jeff style, it says he's the brother that goes to the playground when you've been bullied by a bully who, who's put you in fear. He's not even hitting you. He's just putting you in fear. He's telling you, if you do this, I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hurt your whole family. And he's got you scared and you're, you can't even leave the playground. You're so scared. You're paralyzed. Jesus it says in Hebrews 2, essentially comes and kicks the butt of the, the, the bully. 
it says that he does this. It says that he suffered and he died, that we would have life. But it even, it says something so powerful. It says that what he did when he conquered death is he actually freed us from the bondage of slavery to the fear of death. You get that? He didn't just free us from death. He freed us from the bondage of slavery or fear of death. There's no need for those of us who follow Jesus to live in a place that we won't minister out of fear. Don't do it in your own heart. Don't do it in your family. We won't do it as a church. Do not minister out of fear. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is sitting on the throne. As my friend Rich Stevenson says, he's not twiddling his thumbs and he's not wringing his hands. He's neither bored nor is he worried. He's perfectly capable of orchestrating the events that will lead to the end of the age over the world, over his church, over every nation and city, and over every family, and over every person. Amen and amen. And so Jesus, we pray that you would give us hope that is an anchor. We thank you that you're our forerunner, that you didn't just go represent us, that you don't just stand in, in heaven as a, as a high priest who represent us, represents us, but that we have the promise, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we are seated with you in that heavenly place. You've gone before us that we would have a place with you. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us near to you, that in a time of, of where there may be distance, greater distance than extroverts like me are comfortable with, that we would have intimacy with you that would be intoxicating to our soul, that would fill us to a point of overflow, that we might have something to give away to those who are without hope. Let hope rise from the ashes, Jesus. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a song.